Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Welcome, everybody, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Of course, we feature seven-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, International Tennis Hall of Famer, Mats Vlander, Texas tennis legend and two-time All-American, and newly about to be newly minted member of the University of Texas Athletic Hall of Honor, Johnny Levine. Johnny, let's start there. You're going into the Hall of Honor with the likes of Kevin Durant and Sam Acho, a very star-studded crowd. Congratulations. Well-deserved. How excited are you about this? Well, Andy, I appreciate that. And yes, I'm super excited about it. And uh, for obvious reasons, it's, you know, Texas sports is is uh, at the top, I think, of all colleges, or at least one of. And so, um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of great sports and Olympians and such. And so to be included uh, going in this year is is crazy for me. And, and obviously, you know, when you hear the likes of, like you said, Kevin Durant, knowing that, um, you know, some of these football greats are in there, it's, it's pretty cool, I have to admit. Well, congratulations. You did get a bit of an eye roll from Mats Vlander when you talked about UT sports being at the top of the class, but that's okay. We'll deal with that offline. <laughs> All right. What we're going to do tonight guys is I was looking at social media uh, today because Johnny, you know, you've got us uh, hooked into a great social media person. Jackie's last name is Adelsberg. Yep. Adelsberg. And, uh, and so Jackie, thank you so much for what you're you've done. And I was looking at Facebook and they shared a memory, which 10 years ago to this day on July 25th, 2012, 10 years to the day from where we're recording, I was on campus uh, at UCLA recording a show for the Tennis Channel Best of Five. I was with Bill Scanlon, the late, great Bill Scanlon, and the show was called Never Again. And it was actually an idea that I proposed to the folks at Tennis Channel, which for whatever reason, they decided to do it. So they included uh, Bill Scanlon for the simple fact that he had had a golden set. Uh, back in pro tennis, back in Delray Beach. Mats, were you at that tournament in 84 at Delray Beach when he took that golden set against Marcos Josevar? Um, Andy, I uh, I should have been. I don't remember it. I remember hearing about it big time. Uh, Marcos Josevar was actually a really good player. Brazilian, of course. Uh, big guy, very solid both sides. Uh, and uh, we were all like, I've lost to Bill Scanlon. Uh, in the finals of um, my first ATP tournament in Bangkok in 1981, and he absolutely toyed with me. So uh, I, I was, I guess, surprised. But yeah, that was an unbelievable result. I don't remember watching it, but of course we've heard about it. And Bill Scanlon, the late great, was such a great tennis player, and he never really forced anything, never made any unforced errors. He made you play and earn every point. So uh, not surprising in a way. 
So I'm going to go over some of these, you know, never agains from 10 years ago and see how well they've withstood the test of time. And then I want to go over a few things with you guys and get you to comment on historical perspective. So this is never again. One of the things that I think they said would never happen again. And here we are 10 years later. I think it's safe to say, well, first of all, I don't think we expected these two to still be playing, but for sisters to be ranked one and two in the world. Johnny, is that ever going to happen again? Andy, I don't ever see that happening again. I mean, we've seen brothers, we've seen sisters in different sports. You've got some basketball guys that are brothers, the Lopez brothers, and there's been a couple other NBA guys, and, and there's been definitely tennis. You've got McEnroe brothers and such, but to be one and two in the world, the, the, the top two in their sport, I don't see it, Andy. And I think what we've witnessed with the Williams sisters is, is just completely off the charts. And then you throw in brothers and sisters, both winning major doubles championships in the same year as the Bryan brothers and the Williams sisters have done. And that makes all of that whole sibling rivalry stuff that much more amazing. Matt, how about 13 years in a row winning a major Chris Everett? That is absolutely incredible, to be honest. That's, uh, um, I think we don't talk enough about Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova for that reason. Uh, I think that Chrissy was able to, to obviously win Wimbledon a, a few times, winning on hard courts, yes. But they, she also won the French Open seven times, which is unbelievable. But yeah, the consistency, why is that? I think because Chris Everett was um, sort of overlooked when it comes to tough competitors, she was the most probably the top three toughest competitors that our sport has ever seen. Not a big weapon anywhere except her brain. Uh, unbelievably smart. Didn't win any free points in any way. So I guess the consistency is there. But, but also to do it uh, with all the different surfaces that we had back then. Having to play different in Wimbledon compared to the French Open and, of course, then the U.S. Open. So, no, Chris Everett, uh, is, uh, is it going to happen again? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, Rafa and Novak are doing, a, are doing a pretty good job at trying to, but they haven't, they haven't gotten there yet. So, no, I think Chris Everett's record might stand maybe forever. And the way Matt uh, describes Chris Everett, you put a family of players together that might include Chris Everett, Bjorn Borg, and Matt Vlander with regard to not necessarily having the huge weapon, but the big weapon being the brain. And as a result, some amazing results. And we'll get to some of Matt's a little later in the show, Johnny. But what about Roger Federer between the years of 2005 and 2010, 18 of 19 major finals? you got to be kidding me. Well, that's a, a, a feat that we don't think of anymore because it's been so long and there's been so much history in Grand Slam finals and who's been in the finals and, and the chase for the most Grand Slams over the last few years that you don't think back to that result of 18 out of 19 finals between those years. That's absurd, that, that, uh, that feat. And uh, I don't know that it'll ever be matched again. I can't see it. Matt, I'm going to let you weigh in on this one because I'm not sure that this isn't one of the most unbreakable records in sports anywhere. Maybe it is, but I, Martina Navratilova, Matt's won 167 singles titles. Where, where does that go in historical perspective in any sport? Well, again, it's unbelievable because we, I don't know how many times 
uh, at the same tournament, she won the women's doubles as well. True, but these are singles titles. Oh, I know that. 167 singles titles. What I'm saying is that she was really dominating in the singles. She was also, when she was winning singles, she usually won the doubles too. So the domination that she had pretty much over anyone except uh, our dear Chris Everett, uh, I think is unbelievable. But again, why is that? Because she's left-handed? No. Uh, because she has a big weapon? No. Uh, it's because heart. It's heart. Uh, it's brains. It's guts. Um, it's willing to... Uh, compete in every single match, whether it's singles or doubles, in every single tournament, every year for such a long time. And that's why I think we uh, have to put Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. Imagine one of them without the other. They could have won. They won 18 slams uh, each in singles. I mean, they could have won 30 if the other player wasn't there. So, yeah, again, that is not going to happen again. I don't think even though players play a much longer, have a much longer career, it just will not happen because you need, uh, you need the guts that Martina Navratilova has, have had, and shown all the way through since she defected from Czechoslovakia when she was just a young, uh, I think she was just a teenager still. Imagine Johnny winning 10 professional tennis tournaments in a year. Imagine that. Now, if you look at Navratilova, she did that 17 times is basically what the numbers suggest. Winning 10 tournaments 17 times in your career. Now, that's not what she did, obviously, to get to 167 because she lasted a lot longer than 10 year, than 17 years. But, I mean, how do you even square these numbers? Well, you know, I have to maybe give another point of view. When you think of 167 tour titles – how many slams did she win, Andy? Was it 18? 18, yeah. Wouldn't you think if you've won 167 that there'd be 25 to 30 slams out of that? I would think so, um, winning that many. And I always thought that Martina was a crazy talent, a crazy athlete, was superior in the women's game. But I think the nerves got to her a number of times and I don't think she was able to 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 really show how dominant she could have been. I mean, she was dominant, right? But she could have been just like 30 slams, I think, had those nerves not come into play as much as they did. Just another point of view. Well, first of all, I think I, I would I would defer to Matt's on this, but I would say you can hearken back to the fact that early in her career, she was eating a lot of a lot of Big Macs. Right. She was the cheeseburger queen at the in the in the early part of her career. And then in the latter part of her career, along comes Steffi Graf. So Matt's already mentioned the fact that if it's not for the fact that she and Everett win 36 between them, 18 each, and then along comes Steffi with 22. That probably speaks to the depth of greatness of champions of that era and maybe even makes the 167 that much more impressive than the lack of more singles titles. I think you could look at it either way, Matt. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the one, I mean, when we talk about uh, will never be done again, that, there's no way someone's going to win 167 singles titles. That's for oh. sure. But oh just as we mentioned Roger Federer uh, and, and that unbelievable record between 2005 and 2010, 18 out of 19 slams. I think that 
in itself is why a lot of people are going to always hold Roger Federer as the greatest of all time because no one has dominated the sport as much as he did at a certain time for, for six years right there. Of course, he kept winning after that. And I think with Martina, I think uh, it's kind of the same thing where she, of course, Billie Jean King was a trailblazer. I believe she won 10 majors in singles, a bunch in doubles and mixed. But I think that Martina Navratilova, and once you talk about the cheeseburger queen, she was, she was the first one to really get healthy, right. to get unbelievably fit in tennis. So she, she's done more for the game than, than anyone for that reason. She was also, I think, together with Chris, the two first real superstars that uh, we, our sport really saw. And the first great rivalry, of course, Borg Mackinac comes along, but they're not even close. Even Nadal Djokovic, they're not even close in terms of the times they've played. So I think uh, ending up with a, with a sport that is professional women's tennis, now being paid, get, making more money than any other professional woman in sports, has to do with Chris Evert and Martina Navratilova, and they were trailblazers uh, in their winnings. They were trailblazers in the way they competed against each other and the way they competed uh, day in and day out. So a lot more should be talked about when we talk about Martina Navratilova. And again, don't ever forget, she played doubles in every single tournament she played singles in. And without the doubles, she could have maybe won a few more singles titles. A lot of mixed as well to be thrown in there for Martina. And to your point, Matt, the greatest tennis rivalry, if not sports rivalry of all time, Navratilova versus Everett. They played 80 times professionally. Navratilova winning 43, Everett winning 37. When we come back, we're going to take a look at a few more lists that give some historical perspective to people that will allow you to formulate whatever kind of an argument you want to formulate to place different players on the pantheon of all-time greats. And you're going to even hear a few lists that Matt Vlander is included in when we come back for more kickserveradio.com. We are part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Sarah Z here with a kick serve quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, our fitness levels take a hit if we're not careful, don't they? You know, Sarah, they do, unfortunately. And I highly suggest supporting your activities at every stage pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout. So you want to think about a pre-workout. We have a product called Endgame, and that basically will allow you to increase your energy and focus during your workout. And then intra-workout is almost just as critical. So we have branched-chain amino acids called BCAA311, and that's a perfect product to allow your body to almost refuel while you're working out. It's a super hydrator as well as a muscle recovery while you're working out. And then finally, protein is critical post-workout and body fuse lean protein is one of the highest quality proteins on the market. Very, very effective, a slow, long burn, six to eight hours after ingestion and after that workout. So your energy, you're not, you're not going to crash and your energy continues. You're feeding your muscles and you just feel 
Great. So with these three elements, pre, intra, and post-workout, you're really going to support yourself at all stages in any activities, in intense workouts, tennis matches, body strength conditionings, uh, sessions, etc. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickstarter Radio Boys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Tennis Channel Podcast Network's KickServeRadio.com. Matt Svelander, Johnny Levine, Andy Zoden, and we are talking about some of the all-time great tennis records that have ever been set, and will they ever be broken? Will they ever be matched? And as a result, where do these record holders sit on the all-time lists of great players? And Matt Svelander, during the break, says, I've got one that may never be broken. And Johnny, I'm going to give you first shot at guessing what it is. I think I know because he's the only person that's ever done it in men's tennis. You're putting me on the spot. Uh, you surprised me on that one. Um, the, the number of slams before the age of 22, is it? 21. 21. Four majors, one before his 21st birthday. I know Matt's is going to say, well, of course it will never be broken, but he's a little biased. Johnny, will that ever, will that ever happen again in our lifetime? A male player winning four major championships before the age of 21. Well, I think that's might have a better chance than getting to 18 out of 19 slam finals. Okay. Fair enough. Might have a better chance than winning 167, uh, you know, singles titles on tour. True. So you know, maybe that's a perspective, but gosh, could, could there be some crazy great that comes out of nowhere? Like Mats Lander at the age of 17 wins one and then maybe dominates a year or two later and pulls off the four. I think it's possible. Could we get a Carlos Alcaraz to come along at 18 once the big three are gone, Mats, and potentially make a run at doing what you did? And, and is that the one that you had in mind? Uh, yes, it is the one I had in mind, and I agree with you guys. Of course, that can be broken. Uh, I'm just sort of uh, wanted to bring it up because I'm on the show with you guys, and now that's going into the Hall of Fame. No, I think it can be broken. Um, I think that it can be broken, but I tell you this much: if you asked me five years ago, I would have said that there's no way this would be broken. But I think that someone like Carlos Alcaraz. Um, has proven to us that, oh, the level is there. We haven't seen the level of a 17, 18, 19-year-old be at the, at the very, very top of the game. And you have to say that uh, Carlitos Alcaraz is there in terms of level, not every point, not every day, not every match, but he can play at that level. And that is very uh, that hasn't happened, obviously, I think, since... Uh, 
well, nearly since the, since the 80s with, uh, with me and uh, Boris Becker, for example. But today I'm happy to say that I think there is a chance it will be broken. Uh, I hope it's broken because it'd be more interesting to share it with someone. And I think Carlos Alcadas might be the one because he can do it on any of the three surfaces. And I think that's, uh, uh, that's very important. So um, I think it'd be tough, but I today actually believe that there is a small chance. On the women's side, it's obviously can be done. That's for sure. All right, Johnny, I'm going to take a look at the amount of majors that have been won in a year in men's tennis. And we've only had one player in the open era win all four of them. That was Rod Laver in 1969. Now, my question to you is, how many players, and can you name an assortment of them, that have won three majors in one calendar year in the Open Era? It's a distinguished list. Well, we've got one on our show, Mats Vilander, in 1988. Correct. Who won all three, except Wimbledon. However, he did win the doubles. In 86. In 86. Yeah, yeah. So, right. 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 So <laughs> Mass is on a distinguished list with Djokovic, obviously. Djokovic did it three times. Wow. Okay. Three times. Roger Federer, three times. They won three majors in a year. Uh, and in fact, Novak won his own sort of Joker slam, right? Did he not? Where he won all four, like, like Serena, but not in the same year. All right. So the others are so Federer, th- Federer thrice. Novak three times as well. Obviously, Rod Laver, if he won four, he won three. Jimbo Connors in 74. Now, he had to have won the Australian because he never won the French, correct, Mats? I didn't even realize he'd won an Aussie. He never won the French, so he did win the Australian Open, yes. Okay, and then yourself in 88, and the final one to win three majors in one year. The final person, there's one left that we haven't mentioned. Lendl? Rafael Nadal. 2010, he won uh, Australia, France, and the U.S. Open. Did not win Wimbledon that year. Matt, you're you're in quite a quite a uh, interesting, amazing category there with the with that group of players. That's something else. I've got another category for him, Johnny. This now, this list is of winning percentage in major finals. Yeah. Okay. Winning percentage in major finals. Number one on that list. Rod Laver, and I find this number to be interesting because he won 83.3% of his major finals by going 5-1, and one, which tells you how many majors he did not get an opportunity to play because they don't even count these until the open era. So they don't even count his 62 Grand Slam. They count the 69 Grand Slam, but they don't count 62. So those numbers don't even figure into historical perspective. Fair or unfair, Mats? Um. Well, that is a tough one. I'm not sure. I think that we are very keen to throw Rod Laver in uh, amongst being the greatest player of all time, potentially, because he wasn't allowed to play. And I think that's important part is that in 1962, he did win the Grand Slam uh, all four in one year. And then he wasn't allowed to play, I believe, until 1968 when he I believe he won. Uh, believe he won three in 1968, and then of course he won four again in 1969. So it's a little bit unfair. At the same time, we don't really talk about Margaret Court anymore. She won 24 slams, and Serena has 23. And we are very quick to say that Serena is the greatest of all time. Uh, so I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think that Rod Laver is in his own. Uh, 
uh, he, he's on his own. He's won the calendar Grand Slam, and I think you have to put him amongst the three, four greatest players of all time because of that. Okay, so looking at this list of winning percentage in major finals, number two all-time on that list, Johnny, Pete Sampras, 14-4 and four for, for a winning percentage of 77.8, and a lot of that is um, sort of uh, at the expense of Andre Agassi. So, I mean, obviously a lot of those major finals, um, a, a great era of American tennis because you have Courier in that mix along with Michael Chang, all of those guys winning, winning major championships. But Pete at 14 and four, number two all time, does that in and of itself make a case for bumping him up on the all time list by virtue of that statistic alone? Well, it's a tremendous uh, statistic for Sampras and, and he was always just so clutch in those finals that I do believe that that has to factor into, you know, putting him high up on that list, uh, you know, aside from, you know, the three greats, he's got the 14 slams. So when you package that in with the, with the, uh, you know, the amount of wins in those finals, yes, he's definitely right up there with, with the greats. Uh, no question about it. As you go down this list, Matt, so you got John Newcomb with a 71.4% winning percentage at five and two. So five, five slams for Nuke. Didn't realize that. Uh, Borg, your boy, 68.8% at 11 and five, six French, five, five, uh, five Wimbies, and of course, uh, uh, quite a few losses at the U.S. Open and finals. Novak, uh, 21 and 11, 65.6%. Roger, 20 and 11, 64.5%. And then a tie between John McEnroe at 63.6%. And Mats Vlander at 63.6, both of which going seven and four in major finals, three and two for you, Mats, against Yvonne Lendl, which I think elevates that record. Uh, your career versus McEnroe's, as far as the numbers are concerned, Mac wins 77 singles titles to your 33. Mac wins 77 doubles titles, 77 singles titles, and 77 doubles titles for John McEnroe. Is that a never again statistic? I actually believe that that is a never again statistic. I don't think we're going to have a singles player that's going to be able to win, um, yes, tens of doubles titles, of course, but I don't think with the culture of our sport, it's just not going to go in that direction. Of course, unless, and they're talking about it, they're going to turn the men's doubles at Wimbledon into a two out of three set situation to hope to get some of the, the best singles players to play. But ah. no, I don't think that that's going to, uh, no. And again, John McEnroe should be talked about in, in a, a much higher regard as a player than, for example, me, uh, with the same number of singles titles, even though we're seven and four because of the doubles, uh, for sure. Um, so John McEnroe, yeah. Again, like Martina Navratilova, when are we going to start talking about the greatest players of all time combining or including everything they did on the tennis court, not just singles, but everything because our game is much, much more than singles. So I think John McEnroe, that elevates him in my book. And I've seen some of the rankings that the tennis magazine and the likes of have done and John McEnroe is always up there and they usually rank him higher than a Jimmy Connors and uh, and often up there with Andre Agassi of course he won the career Grand Slam but I think McEnroe is uh, slightly overlooked uh, because of his sort of bleak record in a way uh, in singles Grand Slams I mean 77 singles titles and he only won seven so 
Uh, that's 10% of his singles titles. And if you compare for me, for example, I won seven out of 33. Uh, why is that? Who knows? John McEnroe definitely needs to be up there uh, as, a, as a, one of the great players of, um, of last decade, at least. And Golden Slam for Agassi. He and Graf. A career goal, year. a career golden slam for Andre, a calendar golden slam right. for Graf. That's how right. we That's talked right. about the Williams sisters, one and two in the world. How about a husband and wife winning career golden slams? I don't think that's going to happen again. I think it's safe to say. But, <laughs> but now, now, how about this one? The career, uh, the career golden slam has been accomplished by two men. We already named Agassi, and he accomplished that when he won the French Open in 1999 with that amazing comeback uh, over Andre Medvedev. Who's the other player to win a career Golden Slam, Matt Svilander? Uh Well, it's uh, Rafael Nadal um, did it. And I don't remember which one that was. But, of course, Roger Federer never won the Olympics. Uh, Novak Djokovic never won the Olympics uh, in singles, that is, doubles for Roger Federer. And Rafa Nadal, um, he won, and I am not sure, Beijing, I believe. Um, and, uh, of course, that's unbelievable. But Steffi Graf, please, can we mention her again? I mean, that's unreal. Four single slams, and then she went on to Seoul, Korea in September after winning the U.S. Open, and she goes ahead and wins the gold over there. Um, just an unbelievable record. Husband and wife, career Grand Slams, Golden Slams, no chance. So Rafael Nadal completed the the golden of uh, the uh, career golden slam uh, at the 2010 U.S. Open. Now one player has accomplished the career super slam, which is the golden slam and the year end tour championships. Who was that? Anyone? No, not Nadal. He's never won year end. Andre Agassi is the only player. So when you put Andre's career next to Pete's, obviously it, it, it pales in comparison on the surface because of the 14 majors versus the eight majors, because of their career record versus one another. But when you start looking at some of these other under the radar things that Andre did, it kind of, in my mind, it kind of closes the gap between the two and it really makes it legitimate to call it the Sampras Agassi era. Couldn't agree more. I think that is brilliant. And I think also why their rivalry was brilliant is the two completely different guys, completely different characters, but both really nice guys. And if you go back to McEnroe and Borg, of course, in those days, uh, they were the complete opposite, uh, and where Borg was obviously uh, the nice guy and John was sort of the evil guy on the court. But then you have Agassi and Sampras, and I think a lot of people were not sure they're both great guys. They both play completely different. They, they look completely different. They act completely different. Uh, and, uh, and again, I think that's uh, obviously Andre Agassi is a superstar of our sport, not because of the wins, but it's also uh, great to hear that he did accomplish, I think, a lot more than, uh, than we give him credit for. Quick lightning round, guys. We're going to go most wins per major in men's tennis history. We'll start with the Australian Open, Johnny. Who's won the most? Djokovic. Djokovic with how many? Eight. Djokovic has won nine Australian Opens, followed by Roger Federer with six, followed by Andre Agassi with four, followed by, in fourth place, by himself, 
Mats Vlander with three, having won it on two different surfaces. Correct, Mats. And that will never be done again. Winning it on two different surfaces. That's I think right. the Australian Open is going to stay on hardcore. So thank you for digging yeah. all these out, uh, uh, Andy. That's that, very encouraging. That one is yeah, safe. No. All right, all right. Uh, French Open titles, Mats. To you. Obviously, Nadal has fourteen. Followed uh, by. Uh, Chris Evert has seven. I'm talking men's tennis here, but yes, Chris Evert does right. have seven. Jambor has six. And then I think you must probably fall down to on third place. It's high between Ivan Lendl, me, and Gustavo Querten. Uh, Guga, Lendl, Gustavo and Mats. Gustavo has a three. good record as well because I don't think he ever lost a French Open final. I think he went 3-0 and in finals, so I think he's unbeaten. I don't know that he's qualified with the minimum amount of uh, appearances in finals outside of Paris. Oh, he got to year end one, though. He did. He did get to year end, but I'm talking yeah. majors here. All right, Wimbledon. To you, Johnny. Wimbledon's, uh, well, let's see here. Um, Again, man. I know Martina won nine. Because we had Craig Carden in the box when she won her ninth. So that was a big day for us. I'm not sure Sampras and or Federer, and I know Djokovic is approaching. That's all I can give you. <laughs> well, I think Roger is at eight, and I think Sampras is at seven, Correct. and Novak Djokovic is at six, and I believe the next in line is Bjorn Borg at five. Okay, so it's Federer at eight, Pete Sampras and Novak Djokovic at seven as of this most recent Wimbledon. Novak oh, winning his right. seventh, his fourth straight. Correct. Borg with five and five straight at that. And then and uh, next on the list, Mac and Boris, three each. So Becker and McEnroe winning three. And, and McEnroe, I would say, let's throw out a never again, because McEnroe may be winning the most, one of the most dominant Wimbledon finals I can ever remember when he beat Jimmy Connors. I want to say... I want to say Connors won four games or something. Yep, I think it was like two, one and one or something. In three three unforced errors. Three unforced errors. One of the, the greatest, one of the greatest performances we will ever see. And that's a never again match. Matt, uh, Andy, you just went over a record that will likely never be broken again. And I'd, we'd like Matt's opinion on this five Wimbledon's consecutive by Borg. Yes, I, I believe that, uh, of course, Borg did that. And then Roger Federer actually tied him yeah. uh, and won five in a row as well. And then, of course, both of them ended up reaching the finals uh, in their uh, sixth attempt. Will that be broken? Will five in a row be broken? Five in a row could be broken by Novak Djokovic as we're, as we're watching him. He's four in a row now. I don't see how uh, anyone is going to beat him. Um, on grass, uh, yes, I think it can be broken. Can he win six in a row? That is possible. But here's another thing that will never be broken, you guys, that you will not bring up. Uh, John McEnroe won the Wimbledon title in 1981, and the record that won't be broken is that he did not automatically become a member of the All England Tennis Club. <laughs> That's right. And I bet you that won't happen. But with Nick Curious. This year, nearly winning it, I was very interested in seeing what the All England Club was going to do and what Nick was going to do. Does he really want to become a member of that club? Of course, he loves the tournament. But, uh, of course, now, m- worth mentioning, guys, did you see who the MC was 
on Senate Court on the 100th birthday of the Wimbledon Senate Court after all McEnroe. years. John McEnroe. Uh, so he's gone from definitely the villain to the legend at Wimbledon. And um, yeah, I don't think that will ever happen again. They're going to make anyone a member these days. Well, and to just, to just maybe point out, I think that in the, in the distinction between Kyrgios and McEnroe, Kyrgios, his behavior is called into question for the way he berates his box and something. McEnroe just berated umpires and berated officials. You're the pits of the world and answer the question, you know, and you cannot be serious. And, and all of the things that he, he did that was just directly offensive, offensive to British royalty and British society and all of the pomp and circumstance of Wimbledon. Curios is a nut job. At his worst, but McEnroe is just downright offensive at his worst. I've run into a lot of people since the Wimbledon tournament uh, this year. And a lot of tennis fans, they come up to me and say, oh, Nick Kyrgios, he ain't that bad. He's great for the sport. And uh, he's good for the sport. It's a very interesting, sensitive situation with Nick Kyrgios because he will be great for the game if he keeps trying, no matter what comes out of his mouth. All right, let's go to break. we got a couple of more things to go over when we come back. Johnny's got a report on Atlanta. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're doing things in tennis that will never, ever happen again. More of that when we come back. Don't go away. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's V-Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Matt Spielander now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. After my clinic with Matt's, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to mattsvlandertennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment, kickserveradio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, things that will never happen again. And, Johnny, you know, we talked about you at the top of the show that you are being inducted in September into the UT Athletic Hall of Honor, which, again, congratulations. But Matt is the one that brought up part of this whole never again thing, college tennis. How about Stevie Johnson, 77 
match wins in a row, playing number one singles for USC and four national championships in a row for his Trojans. Paul Goldstein did that at Stanford as well. So I'm sure there are, there are others that have done it, but thank you, Matt, for making um, a mention of college tennis, which having never seen the inside of a classroom, I think that speaks well of, uh, of you to bring that up. All right, U.S. Open, most wins ever. And, Matt, you mentioned that no one's ever going to win uh, the, the Australian Open on two surfaces let alone three. How about Jimmy Connors at the U.S. Open? Five titles on three surfaces. Incredible. I mean, just unbelievable that he was able to, with his style of play, find the right way to, to play from the baseline on all three surfaces. That's, that's unbelievable. Uh, and again, uh, Jimmy Connors will always, I think he's won 100 and, 108 singles titles uh, on the men's side. And um, uh, I'm not sure that will ever be broken i think federer is uh, is knocking on the door don't exactly know but i'm not sure if anyone's going to do that so yeah jimmy connors uh again um uh, took tennis from uh from uh, people's living room into their daily life as in being a, a guy that was respected for his fighting spirit but sometimes maybe wasn't that popular because of his fighting spirit so yeah jimmy connors definitely a trailblazer and what an unbelievable effort to make the semis of the U.S. Open at 39. Of course, Ken Rosewall is another one. Two major finals the same year, U.S. Open Wimbledon at 39 years old. Unfortunately, running into Jimmy Connors in both of those. And, and then Johnny, uh, obviously, Roger Federer having won five U.S. Opens. But here's another never again for you. Pete Sampras beats Andre Agassi in the final of the U.S. Open to win his very first major in 1990. Twelve years later, he would win his final major, number 14, against Andre Agassi at the U.S. Open. So the same two players playing the same final 12 years apart, and that being a player's first and final Grand Slam. Ever again, no way, right? No way. And I don't know uh, what... Sampras's ranking had really dropped. So um, he was just completely not uh, a favor to win that title, but what a way to go out of your sport uh, when you win your, you know, he had been winless in, in slams for a while there and uh, you know, winning that against his main rival uh, in just a beautiful way and a beautiful fashion. And, uh, and then retires. I mean, that's just quite amazing. So that was really cool. And I don't don't see that happening again. He beat Tommy Haas, Matt, along the way. And he beat, uh, uh, I'll still never forget, the bewilderment in Andy Roddick's eyes as he had beaten Pete, I believe, in Miami and in the finals of Houston in the U.S. Clay Courts prior to them playing in that U.S. Open. And Andy did not see that coming when he squared off against Pete Sampras at the U S open. And it really, I think it, 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 it brought Andy back to earth that match. Do you remember it? I do. Andy was taking over there for American tennis. And maybe that's why Pete Sampras after that uh, victory stepped aside. Who knows? Um, Cause Andy Roddick had most probably a bigger serve, not maybe not a better serve, but uh, he hit it harder. He hit the ball harder from on the forehand side. Um, obviously a great athlete and Andy great fighting spirit. So uh, yeah, I think uh, that was a big surprise. And, and if that didn't happen, who knows how many majors Andy Roddick won. I mean, Andy Roddick has to go down as uh, the greatest player of all time just having won one major. I really believe that. 
couple of last statistics before we move on to Atlanta. Roger Federer, 369 matches won in major championships, 429 matches played. Bjorn Borg, the number one winning percentage all time in major tournament play, 141 and 17. Only lost 17 times in majors, 89.2% winning percentage. And then a couple of win streaks here. Martina Navratilova, 74 matches in a row. Steffi Graf, 66. Margaret Court, 57. Chris Everett, 55 in a row. On the men's side, Guillermo Vilas, the most all-time at 46. Do you guys find that surprising that Vilas is the longest win streak in the history of men's tennis uh, of matches won at 46? Um, I can go, no, not really, because he was an absolute animal. And the funny thing is that the match that he then finally lost was against Ili Nastase, who played with the famous spaghetti-strung racket, if you guys remember, where they put rubber bands and they put two strings next to one another through one hole. Uh, And there you go. There's my phone. Oh, Borg is calling. now. And I think (laughs) Guillermo Vilas always uh, claimed that that eventually that racket was prohibited to play with. Uh, and he should have had his record intact and he could have kept going. But, uh, uh, yeah, very unfortunate for Guillermo Vilas. But I overlooked tennis player Guillermo Vilas. Well, all I can say is Vilas winning 46 in a row comes up and suddenly Borg's all over you on the phone wanting to know why we're not talking about him. But we will. Lendl wins 44 in a row, Borg 43, Djokovic 43, Mac 42. So Mac keeps showing up on these lists. And I, I, I would have to believe that the 42 match win streak was in that amazing 1984 where he went 84 and three. So just some amazing things to ponder and consider when you look back on, on the history of tennis. And I appreciate 10 years later, first of all, today was a, was a bittersweet day to look at my, at my social media and see that picture of myself with Bill Scanlon. And I kind of made a, a, you know, a comment that it would made me very happy and very sad, very sad, obviously for the simple fact that we lost Bill way too early, but very happy for having had that experience to be a part of that show uh, with, with tennis channel and getting to celebrate. It was funny because we set it up to where Bill was going to come on the show because of this golden slam. And we made the arrangements to fly to LA. When I made the flight, it was about the first week of Wimbledon that year. And literally I kid you not within one day of me making that flight, Yaroslava Shvedova played uh, what's the little uh, Italian player that got to the finals of the French Open? Oh, if you reminded me. Oh, shoot. Sara Irani. Sara Irani. And she beat her a golden set at Wimbledon that day. So that when we went to L.A. to tape that show, they had to also talk about Yaroslava Shvedova taking out Sara Irani in a golden set that very year. It was Absolutely amazing. So very sad to lose Bill so early. Very happy to have had the experience and then to have been able to to go back and look at that stuff. Now let's get back to what's going on now because we aren't really dug deep into the hard court season. But like your tournament, Johnny, in Arizona, Atlanta's got a really nice field. It's a 250. What's going on in Atlanta as we get this hard court season up and running? Well, I think the Americans are happy to have some – some ATP events in on home soil. And uh, sure enough, you've got almost half the field are American. So there's a real good chance you're going to see a, a winner uh, be from the U S you've got the two big servers on uh, one and two seeds, Riley Opelka and uh, 
and of course John John Isner. One of the most interesting matches will be tomorrow, I believe, is Jack Sock, who was given a wild card. And um, yeah, I mean, you've got Nakashima in there. You've got, uh, unfortunately, Sebastian Corda was upset today by Taro Daniel, who qualified, who's just outside the top 100. So that was a bit unfortunate. And then uh, you've got, you know, Jensen Brooksby in there, who's been playing well. We'll see what he can do. And and some uh, an up-and-comer, our NCAA champion, uh, Ben Shelton, who's the son of Brian Shelton, who's wow. the coach of Florida, serves very, very huge, uh, big lefty. So it'll be fun to see how he progresses through. I saw Marcos. I saw Marcos Giron in there, speaking of former college players. Yep. And I'm, and then we saw our one of our favorites, J.J. Wolf, who we absolutely fell in love with at your tournament, lose to Donald Young. I, I find that match to be a little disappointing. Wolf, you know, being on the trajectory that he's on, uh, and, and Donald Young, you would think his maybe best days are behind him. Um, yes, if you're looking at it in in uh, that way, I would say it's surprising. But also, I think you have to, when you talk about Donald Young, you have to realize, I think everybody should, that he's one of the most talented tennis players to ever play our sport. When he was on fire, when he was young, he was unbeatable in all the juniors. And then who knows how much pressure someone like Donald Young ever felt from the USTA, from, from Tennis America, from the world, um, being African-American. I mean, he was going uh, to make it. So uh, I think that, again, is, is a tough situation. But on the other way, great to see Donald Young still out there, still being able to beat these, these young guys like J.J. Wolf. And then worth mentioning, again, Jack Sock, Nick Curious. I mean, hello, if these guys will start being serious like they are all right now, there's two players that we really never really got to see play their best tennis except Jack Sock in during one year and how exciting he is and was and will be in the future. So I think that uh, we have a few old names that are coming back to our sport that is so exciting. And his classmate, if you will, Johnny, wins your tournament this year. We talked about John McEnroe and Martina Navratilova earlier in the show, bagging singles and turn and doubles tournaments galore. How about Dennis Kudla? Out of that, uh, out of that same class with Jack Sock, is he in that Atlanta draw as well? He played great in Arizona. Yeah, Dennis Kudla made the main draw on his ranking. He's eighty three in the world now. Um, has a really tough first round match, but but he can he can do well. He's playing Mackie McDonald, uh, who's Another currently good young sitting, American. Yeah, yeah, and he's currently sitting at fifty one in the world. So, you know that that's going to be a really really great match, and we'll see who pulls through there. Uh, the winner would play either Brooksby or. Benoit Pair, and I would think the way Pair has been struggling a little bit lately that, that Brooksby will get through that. And then you've got TFO in the draw, um, and, and he's always a threat. He's sitting at 29 in the world. Um, and it's fun to see Kokonakis and, and Kyrgios in the draw. They're playing doubles. They won today. And if they both win their, their first-round matches, they're going to play each other. So that would be wow. definitely a, a fun match to watch. I do want to say that you know J.J. Wolf did play – Donald Young in the first round of the qualies, Young was given a wild card. Oh, okay. I believe, you know, being from Georgia there and everything, but but uh, JJ had to retire in the oh, third set, so not okay. sure exactly what happened in that. Yeah. All right. Thank you for pointing that out. Looking forward to seeing both of you guys in the coming months. Matt, you will be in Colorado at the Broadmoor at Cherry Hills Country Club, and of course. 
with me at Columbine Country Club, and we look forward to that. Johnny, I will look forward to attending your induction into the UT Athletic Hall of Honor the night of September 16th in Austin on campus at UT. A hell of an honor for not just you, but 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 for that whole era of, of Texas tennis, and in particular, your good buddy Tom Fontana. I think that a, a lot of credit needs to go toward that whole Levine-Fontana partnership that really just brought so much energy and invigorated the, the, the Texas tennis program like very few recruiting classes have done before or since. So a great honor there. Looking forward to both of those weeks and weekends, boys. You've been listening to kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring the great Mats Vlander, the great great Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden. Enjoy the hard court season, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.